How you guys doing this morning? First sermon of the new year, so I'm going to make it really long, that way you appreciate me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, I'll keep it pretty short. Um, we started something last week, and, and I was, it, was, it started as kind of a one-off, um, uh, 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 I wasn't going to do a series, and then the more I got into it, the more I'm like, okay, that really needs to, we need to do some more about that. And so um, it, it was kind of still connected to the Christmas season, because do you see what I see? And so I talked about that last week. And I basically had four points. One was vision starts with what God wants. And so you're welcome to go back online and listen to it. There's a PDF on there as well, so you can follow along the scripture and the points. Um, So vision starts with what God wants. Secondly, vision requires action. Thirdly, vision is a process. And that was a big one. Vision is a process, not an event. And and I talked about how vision unfolds. And the last one was vision leaks. And so today I want to spend a little more time on that third point, that, that third point. Vision is a process, not an event. It unfolds. And so most of us have been on a trip, um, especially I remember when I was little, we would go to um, Opryland. Anybody remember Opryland? I don't think it's there anymore. <laughs> Not in the same way it used to be. But we would drive to Opryland um, for vacation almost every year. And I always get to pick a cousin. And so, was, you know, I was super popular the week before. I would go to Opryland with all my cousins because they didn't know which one I was going to pick. And so I would pick a cousin and we would go to Opryland and we would have an amazing time. But it never failed. It, it was so long. And it seems like every time we'd go, it seems longer every time we would go. And I kept asking my mom, did you ever do this? Mom, how, how much longer? How much longer do we have on this trip? And my mom would always say exactly the same thing. Five more minutes, honey. Just five more minutes. Because I had no concept of time. So she was just, you know, she's like, I'll just... Head him off to pass, right? <laughs> Just kind of ignore the question, basically. But after a while, I started thinking, you know, it's been a lot longer than five minutes, so I think maybe my mom's lying to me, right? And so you start getting that understanding of time and connecting all those things, and you begin to recognize, okay, trips take a certain amount of time. There are shorter ways or longer ways. You can get sidetracked. You can have, you know, my dad every once in a while would have an accident. and never failed. We'd be sitting at a red, a red light, and he would be looking off into la-la land because he's on vacation, and he would take his foot off the gas, and he would ease into the car in front of him, just bump him. <laughs> every, I'm, I'm not kidding, at least four or five times we did this. And every single time we would do it, nobody would ever like, hey, let's, you know, let's call our insurance company or even the police. Because he barely bumped them. And, you know, our car was so pathetic and so old. And we were so poor, they were like, these guys couldn't afford to pay insurance anyway, probably. So it was always an interesting trip. But if, we'd have, you know, if they wanted to call the police, it would have taken us a lot longer to get there. So there are ways to get to your destination that are quicker than other ways. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that kind of thought. But the idea that vision unfolds, we can shorten some of the things that happen to us and, and, you know, seeing the plan of God unfold, we can through disobe- disobedience, through dis- distraction, through discouragement, lots of different ways. We can cause something that God meant to take just a few days, like the children of Israel, and turn it into something that lasts 40 years. And then what's interesting is in that process, what we begin to do is we begin to um, ascribe to God distrust. We ascribe to Him that He has... He's, taking us out into the, into, or sorry, into the desert now. He's, he's taking us out of Egypt into the desert. And we're not on a journey. That was our destination. He's taking us out here to kill us. We're gonna, we're gonna, we don't have any water. And, you know, and I know God did all that other stuff, but he's not able to provide water, right? He can't do that. I mean, he can do all those other ten plagues things. He's super miraculous, but he can't actually provide us water. Or food. That's another problem. I definitely know God cannot do, he can't do food, right? And he can't protect us from the, from the Egyptians, right? So there's this whole concept of there's a, a journey that we're all on. There's a promise that the Lord has put in our hearts about certain things. 
Um, some of that is just the, this general sense of goodness, you know, that goodness would follow you all the days of your life. And then we experience some things like 2020, and we're like the, some things happen, or there's a death to someone who you know, is close to us, or something like that happens, um, and disappointment sets in, and if we're not careful, what, again, a journey that was supposed to take a few days to get to some fulfillment takes longer and longer and longer. And so what I want to do today is I want to help you shorten that journey of the vision of God unfolding in your life and get there quicker. And now let's be honest, some things you, that can't be done any quicker. And the truth is the journey that God sent the Egyptians on, sorry, sent the Israelites on from Egypt into the promised land, there was a shorter way. There just was. And, but there was, there was something about God presenting them with the enemies that they were going to have to overcome that was designed to build something inside of them if they could see it. So they had to build trust in God. They had to learn God's ways, that he was faithful, that he was going to come through regardless of what my circumstances are telling me. And so that's the beauty of it is, is that, again, that God will take you into some things and allow some things to occur in your life. And again, don't, don't take this the wrong way. Everything that happens to you is not from God. And so don't buy into that lie. That's a, that's a, a misrepresentation of the sovereignty of God, and it's not helpful. But, there, but there's a journey that God has us on, and he's okay with you fighting a giant. Right? But sometimes we're like, God, I don't understand. You know, if you were in this, there wouldn't be any giants. Where did you read that? Definitely not in the Bible, right? So there's some things that you're going to have to overcome, but the expectation is that you can, right? You can't do it alone, and that's part of you, the learning process and the journey is you can't do it with self-sufficiency. The whole part of the old covenant, the law, was designed to teach you that you could not do it yourself. That's it's absolutely the design. And the quicker you learn that, the shorter your journey is going to be, I promise you, into the promised land, into the promised things of God. So we talked about how, again, there's this unfolding aspect of the journey in that we hear things and we see things in the beginning, and we're not 100% clear on it. You know, again, I imagine when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt and God said, hey, I've got this promised land for you, their mindset and their expectation was, oh, God's just going to do it all for me, right? And he was teaching them, look, I, I created you to be in relationship with me, to be sons and daughters, to walk in the fullness of all of, of the, um, you know, all of the investment that I, I've placed in, into your lives and all that I could. And my expectation is you're going to take use of that. You're going to grow up. And we are going to co-labor together in the thing, you know, again, like Jesus said, I, did you not know I was about my father? I had to be about my father's business. And so we, if we're not careful, what happens is we enter into a journey where sometimes we're, we're on about the business of God and sometimes we're on about our own business, Right? And what, what you find is, Jesus said, and we talked about this last week, Jesus said the only way you're going to find your life is to lose it, to lay it down, right? Narrows the way, right? So, so there, there's a way that you find something in God, and it's by letting go of everything that you think is, is better than his plan. And I've done that. I thought, you know, I've got a much better plan about, you know, becoming an architect, and so I pursue this in a natural perspective, and then I realized that the whole time I was pursuing this, it was a sub version of what God had intended from life. Was it going to be good? Sure. God would have blessed me if I'd have become an architect. His blessing, his favor on me, his love for me would have continued. But it was not what he had in mind. And so what I had to do was I had to lay down my version of that and allow what he was saying about what an architect looked like to become an architect in the spirit, to become a builder in, in the church, in, you know, in the kingdom. That was the, the call that was on my life. 
So we talked about this unfolding, and there's this, this concept, um, I call it the glory of kings from Proverbs 25.2. And I read it last week, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. And, and we don't like that. Like, you know, we're like, God, if you loved us, you would tell us everything. <laughs> because God loves you, he doesn't tell you everything. Because you would curl up into a ball. You can handle it, right? What's the famous line, you can't handle the truth? <laughs> There's a lot of truth in you can't handle the truth. Because it, it, it would literally overwhelm you. And it's also not full of grace. If God was going to show you all the things where you're going to screw up in your life on this journey, probably we'd be so disappointed, so discouraged, we would, we would quit. Right? Isn't that what we almost do anyway? Even with God's encouragement, even you know, with God breaking through and, and rescuing us a million times over, we still almost want to quit. So God conceals certain things. He hides things from you. And it's on your behalf. But the only way that works is if he's trustworthy. See, now I know he is because I've seen evidence for that over my entire lifetime. But I had to reach a place, and you do too, in your own life, where you have discovered this evidence for yourself that he can be trusted, that you begin to understand his character and his nature. Can he be trusted? And it's a really, really good question. And your circumstances oftentimes are going to tell you that he can't be trusted. And so you have to make a decision at some point, has he given you enough evidence that you can trust him? And if he hasn't, then, you know, if you don't think he has, one, ask for more, maybe get some perspective, or maybe just give up. Right? I mean, those are your options. Like, you just give up. What are you going to do? Just going to, I'm going to quit. I'm just going to sit here and die. And isn't that what the, kind of the Israelites were like, you know, you brought us out here to die. Woe is me. And we turn into this massive pity party and we invite, you know, a million Israelites to have it with us. <laughs> right? And isn't that the old adage, misery loves company for a reason? Right? Because we're all suffering in that. And so God conceals certain things and he hides from it. And the danger in that is that we sometimes think that he's doing that because... Um, he can't be trusted or he's got something that's, gonna, that's a little kind of, um, you know, on the sly, so to speak. But listen to what the, the second part of that version or that uh, Bible verse says. It says, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. So it's a fascinating concept that God hides certain things from us and then plays hide and seek. Right? You ever play hide and seek with your kids? Like how good do you hide? Right? Because if you hide really, really good, they're never playing hide-and-seek with you again, right? It's like, I won. You know, you're like, I won, I won. And they're over there crying, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, you won. <laughs> you won the game, but that was kind of not the intention. So you, when you play hide-and-seek, and it's always fun when little kids do it because they'll hide behind curtains with their feet sticking out, you know, so like basically, or stick something over their head, like thinking their head. So they just don't understand the concept, and neither do we spiritually sometimes. And so when God hides, he doesn't hide things so well that you can't find it out. And the reason he does this, and, and we, again, we don't have to like it, but it is a principle of the kingdom, is that God, the glory of God is to conceal a matter, and then the glory of, of royalty, royal sons, you know, the king, you're, you as royalty, royal priesthood, the glory of kings is to search out a matter. But there's an aspect of it that if, you, if you're, you know, something about a king says, I have, I have authority and I have responsibility and I'm on about something. Right? So he says, I'm not sure how this is going to work out, but I know that God has called me to do something in the kingdom. He's called me to take responsibility, and he's given the, me the authority to make it happen. So whatever call is on your life, he is not going to withhold any good thing from you. But it feels like it sometimes, right? And so the tendency is if we, if we stop searching, 
If we stop taking the time, if we don't do God's thing God's way, in other words, we say, well, God's hidden it from us, and then we buy into this doctrine, and this is a doctrine in the church, buy into this doctrine, well, if God isn't doing it, then he must not want it to be done. Or if he's not shown me, or if I haven't figured it out in you know, a little bit of time, then he must not want to do it that way anymore. And none of those things are true. And so there has to be a concept for you to recognize that God is inviting you into the journey. He's inviting you in to discover something. Part of what he wants you to discover and reminds you over and over and over again is that he's good. He's good. His nature, his character can be trusted. But again, if we don't understand that, when um, a matter is hidden, when we pray, we say these things all the time. Well, I guess God doesn't want me to, do, to get that job because it's challenging. Or I guess God doesn't want me to walk in this you know, vision that he has for me because I ran into challenges. And I don't understand how I'm supposed to move forward. So I guess God doesn't want me to do that. Will you quit being a baby? Is that too hard? First of the year, right out of the gate, and I said something like that. But dude, it's time to grow up. Because that is, that's childish behavior, right? God is a good father, so he's not going to hide so good you can't find him, right? And he's not going to hide things so well that you can't find out the journey, what's necessary for the journey long. Does that make sense? I want to I establish that because if you don't get that foundation in your life, then as you pursue whatever God has in your life and that vision unfolds, it's never going to unfold fully because you're going to buy into the lie that God is hiding everything from you and he doesn't want you to do it. Or it's too hard. One of those two things. So in the searching, we discover more and more about God, his character, his nature, and also his ways. You know, if you study biblical finance, it makes no sense in the natural that giving is the way to receive. Simple. Put all of biblical finance. Here's how you do it. God is the source of a river of of resources that flow through your life. You have access to it all the time. And the moment you stop it up and try to turn it into a lake, right, forget about the source. What you do is you create every, something that flows into something and never flows out turns stagnant very quickly. So you'll learn that whatever God has given you, there's an expectation that the, from the source, as long as you stay connected to the source, there is always provision for whatever it is that you need. But you have to stay connected to the source. If you walk away from the river <laughs> and, and expect to drink, then very quickly you're going to realize you didn't take enough water, right? You can never take enough water. God's expectation is you keep coming back to the source of of all the resources that you need in this world. And so that's a relationship with him. And that's why I say God will hide things from you sometimes. It's glory to conceal a matter. And the challenge then for you is, okay, I actually need to find the river. It feels like I've gotten away from the river a little bit. And so I don't go back to try to find the thing. What I discover is when I find God, I find the thing. Because he's the source of every single thing that we need, whatever that might be. And so it's just, again, very simple, but it's God's kindness, actually, that he's doing this. And we forget that because he's trying to develop more and more of a relationship with you. And if you seek him out, if you seek him, Jesus said, if you seek, you'll find. If you knock, the door's going to be open to you. What's he trying to say? He's trying to say that if you stop, if you, if you create that self-sufficiency in your own resources, I don't care how good you are and how gifted you are, That was a resource God gave you in the first place. But it will run out. It's like a lake. When there's nothing flowing in, before long it turns stagnant and becomes even poisonous and dangerous. And that's true. We see that in life. So vision is a process, not an event. I read last week Proverbs 3, 5, and 7. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. That's really hard 
Because we want it to work, we get a mindset. And this is why the Bible talks about his ways. Like learning his nature, his character, and then learning his ways. Do you know the first, um, the first version of Christianity was called the way? Not a way, the way. There's one way, the way, right? And so it was called the way. And, and the whole idea behind it was it was the way that God was doing things. Now, like in Hebrews talks about in, in, in previous times he spoke by the prophets in various ways, but now he has spoken through his son. So the answer to all of your questions, everything you have, is in a relationship that, has, that it actually comes through his son, right? It's sonship through his son. So he goes on, he says, in all your ways acknowledge him. It doesn't mean just, you know, acquiesce. Go, oh, okay, yeah, you're there. I believe that you exist. It's, a, it's an acknowledgement, it's a connection, it's a believing that he has purpose and that he's actually capable. All your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. He shall. Not he might or he can, he will. And so if you do God's thing God's way, you will get God's results every single time. Every single time. It goes on, it says, don't be wise in your own eyes. A lot of admonition in here. You see that. It comes back to that self-sufficiency. If you ever think you're enough and that you're all you need, then you're all you're going to get. And that's a really sad proposition when it's all said and done, right? Because, again, if you're outside of the source, it begins, things just begin to stagnate. And you begin to feel empty inside. There's a reason why that feeling exists. And the only way to fix that is to be in constant relationship with the Lord. Constantly be hearing. Give Him time. Right? And it literally means you have to take time and spend some time with Him. Reading His Word. Getting to know Him. Searching things out. God, why? But don't why as an accusation. God, you hate me. Like Why like a two-year-old toddler who's mad at you? Right? Throwing a hissy fit. Stop asking that why. Ask the why that says, God, I'm asking why because I know you want to show me. You want to lead me somewhere. You want to guide me into something that's going to be even a fresh revelation of you. That in, even in searching after the thing, if I search it in you, I get the thing and I get you. Right? So don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So again, there's, there are certain ways that matter. So I just want to kind of give you a concept of this in the life of someone, a character study in the Bible. Um, this is one of my favorite characters, and you see vision unfolding in this guy's life in, a, in an amazing and beautiful way. His name is Apollos, and he's not like a big character in the Bible. Um, a lot of people have never even heard of him if you, don't, if you haven't read the book of Acts very much. But Apollos was, an, was a really interesting guy, and I'm going to get into a little bit about who he was, because who he was and where he came from helps, helps us understand how his journey unfolds, right? So just first let me read you a scripture where he shows up. And this is Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 24. Uh, and I think this is New Living Translation or God's Word Translation, just to make it simple. It says, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, so it's helpful, keep that in mind. He was a Jew, his name was Apollos. He was an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well. That's the Old Covenant, Old Testament, right? He arrived in, in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. And we're going to talk about that place he came from in just a minute. So he's, in, he's, he's arrived in Ephesus. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. We're going to get to that in a second as well. When Priscilla and Aquila, these were guys who were uh, teammates of Paul in Ephesus, when they heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. You hear that? They explained the way of God even more accurately. So he knew a way, right? But it wasn't finished. It wasn't complete. There was a lot that was missing because he only knew John's baptism. 
It says, um, verse 27, Apollos had been thinking about going to Achaia, that's Corinth, and the brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him to go. They wrote to the believers in Achaia asking them to welcome him. When he arrived, he proved to be of great benefit to those who by God's grace had believed. He refuted the Jews with powerful arguments in public debate. Using the scriptures, that's another key, he explained to them that Jesus was the Messiah. So there's a little bit more about him, and uh, you can go read about him if you want. But he shows up, and again, he was a Jew from Alexandria. I'm going to show you where Alexandria was. Alexandria was in um, northeastern Egypt. It was in the delta near the mouth of of the River Nile. Um, One of the seven wonders of the world was there. It was uh, the lighthouse, uh, uh, the lighthouse of Alexandria. And it was, I think, there until like 300 A.D. or something, and some earthquakes took it out. But it was massive. There was another thing there was called the library in Alexandria. So this library was one of the best-known libraries in all of the world at that time. It had, they said, over, over 500,000 scrolls. So think about that in, in antiquity, over 500,000 books, for lack of a better term, places uh, that th- they could go and study. It was the second largest city in the entire Roman Empire. Today, it's over 5 million people, which that's the size of Atlanta if you're wondering how big it is. We don't think much about it because we're Americans and we don't understand that the rest of the world even exists, but that's who we are anyway. So it's the second largest city. It was the intellectual and cultural center of the entire Mediterranean world. It was where um, smart people lived. <laughs> it's where the intellectuals went to study. It was, it was a, a city of commerce, but more importantly, it was a center of, a center of study. And the Bible says about uh, Apollos that he was a learned man. So he was educated the Bible says he was eloquent in his speech. Um, there was a philosopher who came from Alexandria called Philo, and he was, he, the way he cr- created a logical explanation, it's studied even now in, in, in college, but, but they believe that he came from that school of Philo. And so that he was very eloquent in the way he carried on his speech, and you'll see that that matters in just a minute. But he was also a Jew, and there was probably over, uh, at the time, they said there was probably over a million Jews in the city of Alexandria. That's a lot of Jews outside of, of, of Israel, right? So it was a huge Jewish um, uh, uh, complement in the city. He knew the scriptures. He studied. He could speak Greek. He could probably speak Latin. I mean, there's, there's all this, obviously, he, speak, he spoke Hebrew. Um, he went to Ephesus kind of like on a missionary journey. We're not real sure if he was in business or if he was straight up just, I'm going there for... Um, permission, but he ended up there. And so more than likely, he traveled through Israel to get there, or he'd heard the, the baptism of John. And when, when the Bible talks about he heard the he only knew the baptism of John, what he knew was that Jesus had come at some point. G, um, John the Baptist had pointed, it out, pointed him out and said, behold, the Lamb of God, right? So he had gotten that far, but somehow or another, he had missed the rest of the story. Right, And so when he gets to Ephesus, he's preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand, because that's what Jesus had been saying, right? He's, re- he's saying repent, um, the Messiah has come, right? But he didn't know the extent of it. He was, there was still a mystery to Jesus dying on the cross because that had not happened yet. It had happened, but he had not heard about it. So he's preaching this pseudo-gospel. It's almost there. It's, it's still true and it's accurate. It's just unfinished. And when Aquila and Priscilla hear him, these were teammates of Paul, they had heard the full gospel, he had not. And so they, the Bible says they took him aside and they showed him a more excellent way. So let me just kind of pause there for a second. 
This guy was laying his life down to preach the gospel he knew. So he was diligent, man. He, he was eloquent. He was educated. He, he had studied. He was obviously committed. He was on his, he'd already traveled halfway around the, the world, maybe across the Mediterranean or th- across the land bridge or whatever. He had gotten there. He had spent significant amount of money, resources, faith to get to the city to preach this gospel that he knew. And it wasn't even a full gospel. I mean, that, if that doesn't challenge us, I don't know what does. And so he, he's processed, he's going through, and just imagine if he'd have paused there, he'd have never known the fullness of what God had for his life, right? If, he, if it had just gotten difficult, you know, because he's preaching and it got difficult, I imagine Ephesus was probably not the first place he preached. So maybe he preached this repentance because the Messiah has come and it was rejected. I would, I would imagine numerous places it was. What if he just got dejected? And quit. There's a real good chance he may have died having never heard fully the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's crazy, right? It's like there was this unfolding that was happening in his life. But because of his humility, because he was a teachable person, the Bible said that Aquila and Priscilla took him aside and taught him a more excellent way. So a couple of things. First of all, Aquila and Priscilla were not, they were from Rome. They were business people, right? They, they had been um, uh, ejected from Rome because of the persecution as Christians. And they traveled to Ephesus. They somehow met up with Paul. And they had heard the gospel and they beca- became part of the gospel, labored with Paul. Paul is now traveling. They're still in Ephesus. They're, they hear him in the synagogue. They hear him preaching. And first of all, he had to be a guy where they said, I'm willing to take a risk. We are willing to take a risk with this powerful preacher, right? this powerful guy, to take him to coffee after his service. So first of all, that's an amazing thing, that they were willing to, to this, see this guy who was incredibly powerful and take him aside. So there was something about him that even when he presented himself in absolute confidence, because the Bible said he preached with accuracy the word he knew, right, the gospel he knew. He wasn't off, he w- it was just incomplete. They didn't take him aside and correct him and say all these things are wrong. They just helped him finish the race or, you know, finish the journey on that one particular issue of the gospel. So there was a humility and a teachableness about him that caused Aquila and Priscilla to take the chance to speak to him in hopes that he would hear what they had to say. Now here's the beautiful thing, he did. So imagine um, you're confident, maybe, maybe you're not confident, but let's just say you are. Let's say, man, you got a lot of things going on in your life. You got some clarity on some direction. Your marriage is doing well. Your kids are okay. You know, maybe your business is doing well. There's just something about, man, I just feel like I'm incomplete. Lord, there's something that's not quite there yet. If you are arrogant instead of confident, the likelihood that people are going to be willing to sit down with you and help you and take you down, further down the road It's very unlikely. So I just want to challenge us all right here. Part of the challenge for us seeing the journey of our life unfold in the beauty of the kingdom is we're not teachable. And there's no humility. Now again, I think Apollos is the perfect picture of this because he was so incredibly confident and powerful. I mean, Alexandria was one of the most um, well-known places to be educated Um, outside of where Paul came from. You know, he was also beautifully educated. 
And so he was an eloquent man. Paul was not. We always think of Paul as an eloquent man, but he wasn't. The Bible said that, I mean, there's several indications that he was not the most eloquent uh, speaker. He was really good at writing. When he would write, they would hear his, they would read his letters, and then he would come, and they're like, really? This is, he's not that powerful, right? But Apollos was. And somewhere in the, who he was, he recognized that he was unfinished. And I just want to challenge you. If that's you, if, you know, maybe it's not, but let's say you are, you're confident. Please don't let your confidence in what God has done already in your life lead to arrogance and get you stuck before you finish. Because you're not done. If you're listening to me, and let me just say this to you if you're older. Stop with the lie that God's done with you or that you've got to slow down. Maybe you need to slow down physically. I get that. I understand that completely. Um, but you don't have to slow down. You slow down when Jesus tells you to slow down. <laughs> right? So I'm going to retire and just take up fishing. Good luck with that. Right? Especially if there's a call on your life. I don't know that we're supposed to retire. I think that's a Western idea that somehow has gotten into our life. Now, don't get me wrong. I think you, you can transition out of full-time employment. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about the mental thing we call retirement. That I'm just going to, now I'm old, I'm just going to rest. It's not how it works. Now, maybe physically, you can sleep in a little bit. Woohoo! I'm happy for that. But if you have lost your purpose and your definition, like Caleb in the Old Testament and Joshua, the Bible says they're in their 80s, right? Or Caleb in his 80s, 70s, 80s. And he's still ready to take on what God has promised him. So I just want to remind you, God's not finished with you yet. So please, please, let's say you've blown it. Let's say you've ended up in a broken relationship, divorce or whatever. Some, something's happened. Someone, you know, that you love has, has rejected. I mean, whatever. It's, there are different circumstances lead to the same thing. And you're just sitting in a pile of ash, heaping ash on yourself going, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. Listen, that's okay for a little while, Right? I'll help you. I'll throw some ash on you too. Because you, we need to grieve, right? Grief is the loss of something, the hurt and the pain of, of a loss. Okay, but you haven't lost everything. If you buy into that lie, you'll sit in the ash until you become ash. So don't do that. Pick yourself up. It's what the Bible says at some point. Pick yourself up, right? And go after the thing that God has for you. Um, so many stories of people who in their latter years or, or after a tremendous rejection or brokenness in their life have gone on to do incredible things. There are just so many stories that you can't even begin to, to realize how much God has for you left if, you, if you'll just pay attention. So again, he, went, he goes to Corinth next. So he's in Ephesus. He hears the gospel. The Bible says they write a letter. They send him to Corinth. In Corinth, he preaches, and later on you see in, in Corinthians, he's come to Corinth, and he's so powerful that eventually this whole clique begins to build around him. Remember where Paul says, you know, he writes a letter to him. He says, some of you guys are saying I'm of Paul. Some of you are saying I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas, which that was Peter. And some of them were just of Christ. Now, uh, most people are not, our theologians are not sure where that last one meant that they were just, you know, the last group was just done with the foolishness of all the other three and they were just trying to be, be a strong believer or that they were super spiritual and go, we don't need anybody. We got Jesus, right? Whichever way that you look at that, one, Paul and, and uh and Apollos were never at odds with each other. You see that throughout the New Testament later on in Titus. Apollos shows back up, and he's, and he's actually working in conjunction with who, uh, with who uh, Paul is in his mission, in his journey. And 
church history, it's not in the Bible, but church history says, a guy named Jerome in about the third or fourth century says that um, Apollos, after all this schism that happened in Corinth, Paul writes a letter in First or Second in Second Corinthians and adjusts the issues in the church. That gets sorted out. And Jerome said that Apollos came back to Ephesus and served as an elder, and then later on became the bishop or the leader of the church in, in Ephesus. Like we don't know for sure because there's no strong evidence biblically of that. Um, Martin Luther actually think, thinks that Paul, Paul uh, sorry, that Apollos actually wrote the book of Hebrews, the letter, the epistle to the Hebrews. Um, several other modern day scholars believe that he wrote that as well. Because remember, he was a Jew, and he's writing to Jewish people, but he was, he was incredibly eloquent, and the book of Hebrews is incredibly eloquent. So whether he did or whether he didn't, it doesn't matter, right? Just Hebrews is not claimed by Paul. Some people say he wrote it. Let's say Apollos wrote it. This is an amazing and incredible guy. He lived the fullness of his life, serving the purposes of God. Now, I don't know what it looked like at the end, except for what church history tells us is that once he heard the gospel and his life was complete in that, that became his lifelong call until he eventually ended up leading one of the greatest churches in the New Testament in the book of, you know, you read the book of Ephesians and the, uh, the church in Ephesus, one of the greatest churches in the New Testament. Went, it took the gospel into all of Asia, is what the Bible says. And he was a big part of that happening. And so one of the things that we learned from him is that he could have rested on his laurels. At any point, he was educated, he could have finished with that. He was probably good in business, he could have gone down that road. He could have taught in a a university. There's a million things he could have done. But he discovered his purpose was primarily moved through the kingdom. Let me say this to you. Whether you are called to be a full-time pastor or leader in the church, um, and you get a title or position, it, it has nothing to do with anything. Everybody. Every single person on the planet, their life has to go through the gospel. Everything that you do, your purpose, your family, what you do in your life, if, you don't, if it doesn't originate in the kingdom of God, it will leave you empty. So it's got nothing to do with whether you end up in full-time ministry. That's not the issue. The issue is you are always in full-time ministry in the sense that you have a relationship with God and you are serving in concert with Him as a fully developed and fully mature son, which, in, whether you're a daughter or son, it, the, we use the word son because it's about receiving an inheritance. So God has an inheritance for you. Whether you're going to be a business, businessman, whether you're going to be involved in education, you know, the seven mountains of influence, if you end up in entertainment or sports or any other arena, art, whatever, it doesn't make any difference where you end up bringing your influence and bringing your strength. All of those roads start in the gospel. That's the way that God's designed it. And so you are connected in the church. You are the church. You don't go to church. You are the church. And Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, and this, what I build, the gates of hell won't prevail. So if we're wondering why the gates of hell seem to be prevailing against the church, because not everything that quacks is a duck. <laughs> okay? So what I want to challenge us is, is to say this. Okay, whatever, whatever strength I have, whatever success I have experienced so far, my pushback is this. Is it success that's founded in the gospel? Is it success that's founded in your relationship with God? If you're a business person, are you regularly in connection with the Lord in how to 
Use your business to influence the kingdom of God. Because remember last week we talked about there's only one thing that's eternal, and that's people. You can, if your business you know, builds things, that's wonderful. But how does, it serve the, the, how does it serve people in the context of the kingdom? Because if you don't understand how that works, and again, you, you're, you're like, well, how in the world can it, can it do this? I don't know, but I promise you God knows. And God can give you ideas behind this. He can give you revelation. I read a story of a guy who, who he built bow, bows for a living. That's what he did. Woke up one night, had the, a revelation of a picture of a new kind of bow in his head. He woke up, had a, a pad and a pencil next to his bed because he expects to hear from God on a regular basis in his dreams. He writes it down, draws a picture of it, and goes and produces it, and it revolutionizes a certain aspect of the bow industry. So what did that do? That brought him a lot of money. Guess what he did with his money? Bought a bunch of nice things. Yes. <laughs> but first he said, God, you did that so that now money could flow through me, right, into the kingdom. So my purpose, like right now, I live my life on a daily basis every day to teach and preach and, and to equip you as saints for the work of the ministry. That's what God has called me specifically to do, right? I do that. But he could have just as easily called me to be an architect in another way and I build buildings. So maybe I build buildings for the kingdom. Maybe. That's easy. That's direct. But maybe what I do and how I raise my family and how I influence and how I take what God has given me, the influence that I have, and the money and every resource that's come my way because of the gifts and, and the passions and the directions and the personality and the strengths that he's put in my life, am I using it for his glory or am I just spending it on my own behalf? And if you remember, that's kind of what the... Uh, what the prodigal son did. He's like, I want my inheritance to spend on me. Right? So what does he do? He goes out and he spends it. He doesn't really even spend it on himself. He spends it on making friends. Right? I'm going to, all my friends love me. Look at how much they love me. It's like, of course they do. You have a nice car. You have a nice house. You live at the beach. You know, let the list goes on, go on. Right? And then he runs out of money. And what happens? He also runs out of friends. Why? He, what, he don't, what Jesus said not to do, he built his house on sand. And when the storms came, in other words, at some point his resources, because he was disconnected from the source, his resources ran out. And he found himself alone. He found himself crying out to God. And in the beauty of God's redemptive nature, he comes back to the Father expecting to be a servant, right? In other words, the resources I have are now limited because of my brokenness and my sin. And that's not what the gospel teaches. He comes back and the Father says, everything I have is yours. Puts a ring on his finger, authority, gives that back to him, robe, and it goes through the whole list, throws a big party. And remember the other son? <laughs> He's working hard, diligently for his father, in his father's business, but doesn't know the father. Neither one of those two boys were connected to the source. Neither one of them. And both of them were broken. One of them was broken in sin and, and dejected without friends. One of them didn't have friends because he was so busy in the work of the ministry right, that he had no time for the father that he was supposed to be doing the work for or the people he was supposed to be blessing. And he didn't care about his, his other brother, and that's part of the reason why he had received a, a more of an inheritance, which is another picture, more resource, was because he was supposed to take the resource that he had and go rescue his younger brother. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus is the older brother who, who gains all the resources from heaven because of his obedience, what he did, all the resources of heaven are now his. And what does he do? He gives it all away to get you and I to come and rescue his younger brothers. So the analogy breaks down, obviously, because God's both the father and the son. 
But the point is, is there is a resource that's available to you. But you can't trick God. You can't say, you know what, I'm going to give. And, uh, and because I'm giving, I'm going to get. Well, that, your motivation is selfish. And because your motivation is selfishness, it's disconnected from the source. If your motivation is generosity, God's going to make sure there's plenty to give. Right? So, again, the, the challenge is in, in the life of, of the apostle, they call him an apostle, um, Apollos, was that he was on a journey and his life was unfolding. And had he not been teachable and had humility and been willing to lean into the kingdom first, nothing that ever occurred in his life would have ever been able to occur. He'd have had a good life, hear me. He would have had a good life because God is gracious and he's kind. But he would never have seen the fullness of what God had designed him and created him and built him for. Nor would he have sensed the satisfaction, the hope, the fullness of the inheritance was designed for him. God has no problem with you having things, as long as things don't have you. Right? That's greed. The reason he gives you things is so that you can give them away. Now, that's sometimes literal. Karen and I have given away cars before, right? Not new ones. <laughs> I wish we were there, but we weren't. But we've, we've given away a car because we could. God had been generous to us, and we were able to be generous to others. And so part of that is giving into the kingdom. Part of that is being a part of this local church. We've got a lot of people watching online, and I just want to challenge us. If you're not in this building, and I get it that we're all being careful and we're all being cautious because we're still living, COVID didn't magically go away because of January 1st. And so I get that there are real challenges um, and potential um, precautions that we all need to take. But what's your plan for getting back into the work of the kingdom? What's your plan for reconnecting with the church and the vision that God has for DCF and the vision that God has for our city in this region? What's your plan to play a part in that? What's your plan to be connected to the resources of heaven and to begin to give those resources away in bringing your strength, bringing your resources, whether that's finances, time, money, whatever, to the purposes of the kingdom? And I just want to say this. When you find that, when that begins to unfold, you recognize that the only way this works, the path that leads to satisfaction and fulfillment, only goes through the gospel. It only does. And it only goes through your relationship with God. And the good news is, no matter where you are right now, no matter what you've done, you feel like you've messed up and you've gone too far, you haven't. If you can hear my voice, if you're alive, you haven't gone too far. Amen? God wants to give you everything back. The Bible says that he restores the years that the locusts have eaten. And all that means is, no matter how much the enemy's taken away, even if it's your fault, God can bring that restoration back. Why? Because you are not the source he is. Amen? I want to pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for your kindness, Lord, first of all. Thank you, Lord, that you designed this whole thing. Every bit of this, Lord, is your design. And, Lord, it only works when we do it your way. So, Lord, teach us your ways. Help us understand. Challenge us, Lord, to disconnect from selfishness and wrong motivations, Lord, and to connect to you. Lord, if we're seeking after things, Lord, we're never going to get them. They're, they're going to evaporate before us. No matter how much of it we actually get, Lord, the promise that it brings is going to lie to us. The only way, Lord, that we find the way that we were to find fulfillment, the only way we can find it, Lord, is through you. You said if we give away our life and, and, and find you, Lord, we find our life. And so, Lord, as we do that, Lord, would you just open up the resources of heaven? Lord, for us individually, for our families, Lord, 
Make us a resource for our friends and family, Lord, to receive blessing, Lord, not just financial, but love and encouragement and ministry and serving, Lord, that we could bring that, we can bring that strength to the people we love and the people we know. And Lord, then do that together with us as a local church, that you would begin to restore, Lord, everything that this last year has tried to take away, uh, tried to take away, Lord, that you would restore it all and that you would fulfill your plans and your purposes in us because we are seeking after you and Lord, we're driven and we're motivated by our love for you first and foremost, our love for people, Lord, our love for your purposes and your plans. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for uh, joining us this morning. If you need prayer this morning and you're in-house um, and with us, we'd love to pray with you in person. If you're watching with us online, then um, something about today's message. I love how the story of God in us and through us and our journey connects us to one another. And um, it first has connected us to Him and that being an overflow of our lives to love people well around us. And so this morning, if you need prayer, in-house, we want to pray for you. If you need prayer, you're watching online, you can contact us through our website, and someone from our ministry team will be in touch with you. We're so thankful for you joining us today. We hope that 2021 is a year of just the Lord's breaking through of barriers. Um, and so we just love you guys. We're thankful for you. We hope you have a good week, and we will look forward to seeing you again next Sunday.